Welcome to the GameDev.TV Community Podcast. I'm your host, KB, and I would like to introduce you to industry professionals and people who successfully made their path to the video game industry. I hope that you enjoy the podcast and get useful tips that will bring you closer to achieving your dreams. Now, let's get right into the podcast. So, welcome to the GameDev.TV Podcast. Right excited to be on? Yeah, yeah, I'm stoked. I'm stoked. I've... Uh... I've only done one podcast uh, before, so um, oh, it's cool. It's interesting. So I'm down to give it a shot. Ho- hopefully, can give you guys uh, something, something decent to work with. Okay, cool. Well, so usually the beginning, we'll just let you introduce yourself a little bit. So you're a uh, PlayStation system designer, right? Senior system yeah. designer. Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, senior system designer over at PlayStation. Uh, joined there again back in July. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so let's get right into it. So just let them know a little bit about who you are, and then we'll go yeah. from there. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, Tony Morton, uh, I go by Cardo, uh, game designer, been designing games for about 10 years now. Uh, started in level design and then worked my way through um, combat design, system design. Um, worked on a handful of different games. Uh, one, first one was Defiance. It was like a shooter MMO with a TV show. Uh, then worked on uh, H1Z1, which was, you know, uh, first mainstream battle royale. Uh, and then from there, I uh, worked on the Plant Side franchise. And, uh, you know, now I'm over at, uh, at PlayStation uh, working on uh, some pretty dope stuff there. So it's been uh, been a, a fun journey. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> Were you ever offered a, a position with Daybreak during that whole entire shakeup? There, uh, online entertainment? So, so I was – actually, I came oh, into – no, no, I came into uh, to Daybreak after the the split from from SOE. So I went Tryon to PlayStation. Nice. And then after uh, PlayStation went to Daybreak, and then after Daybreak, uh, we, they did the spinoff, right? So Rogue Planet right. Games, and then back over to uh, back over to PlayStation, a different so. division. Uh-huh. In, yeah, uh, yeah. In, at Sony, the uh, the second second run through. So nice. I know uh, quite a few people from Daybreak. Oh, nice. Yeah. No, it was, I enjoyed my time at Daybreak with us, you know, even though <laughs> we yeah. had some frustrating times. But uh, all the, the stuff that happened, the, we all know. <laughs> yeah, it's it was crazy. But the, I think the big the big takeaway for me from from Daybreak was it was just the people, and yeah. uh, there are a lot of really incredible people that work there, and uh, I miss them on the daily, hundred <laughs> percent. Absolutely, right on. <laughs> yeah. How are you dealing with the whole pandemic? Um, twenty twenty. I don't. I I I feel really fortunate. Uh, I feel like nerds are built a little bit different. I've been home since <laughs> February. I haven't really cared. It hasn't bothered me. I, I don't. You know, aside from like not being able to go out to dinner, I'm not. I'm a, I'm a homebody anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm either working or playing games or streaming. And so this is this is pretty much it. And so like I don't know. For me, it's made it easy because I haven't had to tell anybody I don't want to do. It. I don't need excuses anymore. Exactly. Um, but I definitely. Oh man, I can't come out. You know, pandemic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They don't even ask. And Shoot. So it's great. But, um, but it's been you know. So for me, I've been fortunate enough where like it hasn't phased me, it hasn't bothered me. But I know that is definitely not the case for a lot of people out there. And I think that's my my biggest concern is just like the the overall impact to to society and how people are dealing you know, depression and, and all the other crazy things that come with it. And so, yeah. uh, for me, it's been pretty, pretty cool, but I just, I just have general concerns, you know, 
because yeah, not sure. everybody's built like like we are, you know. What I mean? Right. I understand. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So let's go all the way back to the beginning. When did you? Yeah. What was your first video game you ever played? First video game I ever played. Oh, that's gonna oh. date the hell out of me. <laughs> <sighs> um, I was super super young, and uh, my dad had a uh, what was it? Was it the Commodore or something, dude? I, I don't even remember. I mean, it was the Atari. I remember. It was Pitfall. But Pitfall way back in the day. I can't even. I was Atari so. 1600? It might have been. I was so little. I like, I barely, I barely remember it. I remember like the controller having like one red button in the corner. Uh, uh-huh. And there was a joystick. Uh-huh. And uh, there were crocodiles and I could swing over pits. That's all I remember of it. Uh, oh, yeah, I must have, yeah. must have been like maybe three maybe um but that was yeah so i I think pitfall may have been the first game i ever played but it was uh i barely like i said that's literally all all i remember about the game um i think the first game that i ever like really dug into and remember was uh was jaws actually on on the original nintendo (laughs) uh got it at uh christmas and uh and just played games like crazy and uh i played that one just endlessly until I beat it. And so that was like my first, first real, I guess, video game experience was Jaws back. I forget what year that was, like 87, I think, or 86. But yeah, long time, long time ago. <laughs> long, long time ago. And did you yeah. fall in love with games ever since and just like mm-hmm. wanted to do game dev? Or you just were like, I'm going to play games and go on with my life? So, so games immediately became a huge part of me, like from that moment on. Um, whether it was, and it was always on console though, right? So like when I grew up, we didn't have, um, we didn't have money for like a gaming PC or anything like that. Uh, the PC we had, you know, ran like word processors and whatever my parents needed a PC for at the time. But like, for me, it was always about console. And so it was, you know, Zelda and Mario and like all those iconic uh, old school games. Um, and they, that was just my, it was my escape. Uh, you know, I grew up, uh, I don't want to say, you know, a single child, but cause like mom and dad were married they both had kids, got divorced, married each other and had me. And so from that aspect, I was a single child, um, came in and like way after my brothers and sisters, 10 plus years separating us in age. So they were, you know, older out of the house were living with, you know, their other parents and, uh, and video games, they were my, you know, they were my friend and it was, it was, that was like just my escape. And so, uh, I never really considered making them. Uh, I, I never really put it together that like someone actually had to make the game. And so for a long time I wanted to grow up and I wanted to get into automotive design. I wanted to design concept cars and that's what I wanted to do. But the, uh, the, the, the town I was from was super tiny and like we had like a community college and they, like I went there and I was like, I want to do concept cars. And like, they just stared at me like I had three heads and they had no idea. Like we don't know like, what, what to do. With you. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so it was, uh, they were like, you should just get a, get an AA degree and then get like a bachelor's degree in business. And that's what you should do. And, uh, and that was a terrible, that was terrible, but God, that was bad. Um, but it wasn't until later in life when it came to the realization of like, somebody actually makes these things. Like, why don't I just go do that? And then that's when mm-hmm. the whole journey kind of started. Uh, what age it was, was that? much later in life. What's that? What age was that? Oh man. Um, I guess I was probably in my mid twenties at that point. 
early, eh, maybe early twenties. Guess it was early twenties. I was working. Uh, my dad had a, a glass shop. We had a family business, and uh, so like sliding doors, windows, mirrors, bathroom, shower doors, enclosures, that kind of stuff. And uh, the the goal was always to kind of like, you know, family business. He retires, I take it over, and we're good to go. And so we did well, and uh, you know, money was decent. But like the old saying, money doesn't buy you happiness. It's true. Because I was miserable. And, uh, you know, the, uh, my wife at the time, she said, you know, why don't you like go make video games? And I was just like, what? She's like, go make games. I was like, huh? You can do that? <laughs> yeah, I guess somebody has to make those, don't they? I was just, like, right? I just never really thought past it. And, and it was, it was weird too, because like back in the day, like I used to like make levels for fun. But I never really made the connection. And I don't know why that like someone got paid to do that. Someone else yeah, made level. <laughs> like I just crazy thing. And so appeared. Yeah, right? It was just one of those things. The game that, designers like, just, you know, they write a document and it magically shows up. <laughs> I never I never considered the process of like how these magical things showed up on the shelf in a store. And I don't know. I don't know why. Like you always hear like people in games are like, oh, ever since I was a little kid, I always make game and like Never once did it even enter the realm of possibility that I could do that. And so I was faced with like this challenge of like, well, I need to like do this and like, if I'm going to do it, I got to do it. And so I started, you know, I went to school and, uh, started going down and that was a complete disaster, but went down the route of, of getting my degree. Uh, and then eventually through networking and whatnot and a lot of grinding and hard work, just I got into the industry, but it really was this whirlwind of like, a three-year to four-year stint of just like school, grind, go, got in. And I was like, looking back on it, it was a miracle that it ever actually came together and worked. Um, just like the stars aligned and uh, uh, networking aligned and it ended up working out. But before that, like, like honestly, never even thought about it, never considered it. Um, and I, I don't know why. To this day, I can't answer that question. I have no idea why I never thought about it. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Yeah, it just happens. But so you went for business, right? And then yeah. how did you then get into the industry? Did you did you graduate and then go back to school, or did you just slowly start learning like programming and design? Yeah. So so I went to the community college, and you know they gave me the whole business spiel, and I was like, okay, it sounds like a terrible idea. Let's do it. And, <laughs> and so I went in, and and the first time through, you know, mom and dad they were like, we'll pay for college. Um, but you know, I get good grades and I was like, all right, cool, sweet. And that lasted like six months and I dropped out because that was terrible. And then I did some side jobs around town. You know, this was before the, the glass company. And, you know, I tried, uh, working, I worked at car dealerships. I worked in retail. I worked for construction companies. It's like whatever I could do to make a buck. And, uh, then I went again back to school, gave it a second shot. It was just as bad of an idea as the first time I lasted like, you know, like three, four months and I dropped out. It just wasn't for me. And, uh, at this time, mom and dad are pissed because like they've spent a lot of money in college and I have nothing to do for, you know, nothing to show for it, but you know, they're still supportive. And, uh, so after the second time in college, I went to the family glass company. Um, and then, you know, that's when the whole conversation went like, why don't you go make games? And so I started looking into it. And uh, I found a school online that seemed legit at glance, right? It was a school, Westwood College. I still have the degree hanging up uh, on, the, on the wall, even though it has now been closed because it was flagged as fraudulent and as a money scam. Wow. So I leave that on the wall to remind myself to fact check stuff. But um, yeah, it's 
Yeah. Anyway. Uh, and so I went to this school and I got my, I got a bachelor's degree. Um, the thing about it this time was mom and dad were done. So I had to pay for it myself. And so, you know, I took on a bunch of student loan debt, uh, cranked out a four year degree in about two and a half years. Uh, and I just, I f- went full send. Um, it was 30, between 27 and 30 credits per semester, did year round school, um, and, and cranked out the full degree. And about three quarters of the way through, I had realized that the degree itself was worthless. It was going to have no weight. Um, the school was obviously pushing everybody through regardless of what you did. And it was like this wake up moment of like, I've got nine months to really kind of figure out what I'm going to do. Um, before, uh, you know, I've got to graduate. And so I had throughout school, I had started really taking, uh, a liking to level design. And so I just started the grind. And so I was working in unreal. I think it was unreal. Uh, it was the unreal tournament three editor at the time. Right. And so unreal three, and, uh, I just started cranking out levels as much as I could. And, and it just kind of went in and I was in my level design classes, you know, we had, projects that we would have to do and i would start on a a friday afternoon after work and i would stay up until sunday afternoon and i would just work for like four eight hours and i think it was at that point that i realized that i was doing something right because those kind of stints don't happen easily unless you're driven by excitement and passion right no one wants to stay up for three days for the hell of it that's terrible (laughs) and uh so i had done that and i had done that for like once over and over and over again. And that's when I kind of realized that, you know, this was, this was the right path, right? This wasn't a business degree. This wasn't, you know, cookie cup, whatever it was. And so I got out of school and, um, I couldn't get a job. Like no one would talk to me. Um, no experience. Uh, you know, it, it was, it was this really strange wake up call of like these entry level positions looking for three to five years experience in a ship title. And it's just like, what? If it's entry level, then what the hell do you need experience for? That's not entry level. Like entry level is like, Hey, I, I haven't done this professionally. Let me enter the industry. You were robbed and again. what's that? So you were robbed again. Yeah. It, it was just, it was like, it was, it was, it was frustrating. And so what I did was after school graduated, I got a job with uh, a company called ID tech and uh, ID tech. They run these uh, summer camps, if you will. Uh, but there it's, I always, I dubbed it nerd camp. And it's because it was a summer camp that was focused on coding, game design, robotics. Um, I mean, nerd stuff, right? And it was super cool. Uh, and they brought me on. And so I did, uh, I taught for three months at the University of Miami. Um, I taught level design uh, to kids between the ages of uh, 13 and, and 17. And... Um, after the end of that three months, uh, they extended my my contract and they moved me up to Harvard. And then so I taught at Harvard for like, I think it was like two more months, six, six more weeks or two more months. Same thing. And so at that point, I had like about five, six months of teaching level design. Um, during that process, and this is what I meant by like stars aligning and, and the network aligning. Uh, one of my good friend, Justin, his brother, David, had his best friend, Billy. Now, Billy was a concept artist uh, in the gaming industry at the time. And Billy had a friend, Stacy, who worked at Tryon. And so you can see how many degrees of separation this was for all this crap to align. 
And so I sent myself to Justin, who sent it over to David, who then sent it to Billy. And when Billy saw it, he was like, hey, this isn't bad for someone who's never actually done this before. So he sent it to, to Stacy and said, hey, you know, do you guys need any level designers? This guy seems like, you know, he's halfway decent. So I went back and forth with Billy quite a bit. And, um, and you know, he had never met me. He owed me absolutely nothing. And to this day, I am still convinced that if it wasn't for him, I never would have made it, you know, in the industry because it, it was, you know, it was that connection, you know, um, and so Stacy takes my stuff and she sends it to the design manager, uh, Craig. And so he sends it out to a dude named Greg. I know it's a lot of names, but it's how I remember how it all happened. Now, uh, Greg saw my stuff and he emails me back. And at this point, freaking, I am mind blown, right? I got an email from somebody in the game industry because at this point I had applied to over 200 studios and crickets, just nothing was coming back or it was just straight rejection no consideration. And so like the fact that somebody finally like emailed back to, I I was ecstatic, right? You you would have thought I got a job when I just got an email, but, um, and so he sent me an email with, you know, Hey, stuff is pretty good. This is, these are the things I would change in your portfolio. And I saw that as like, you know, this is the ticket, this is the opportunity. And so uh, I stayed up all night. And so back, you know, went back to my college days and just cranked it. And, uh, he sent me the email, uh, before he had left work. Um, I forget what day of the week it was. It doesn't matter. And I stayed up all night and I sent him a reply email before he got to work the next day with like this huge laundry list. I changed everything. I basically rebuilt my entire portfolio in a night, restructured everything, updated all the levels and whatnot and, uh, and sent it off. And so he gets it. And he emails me back. He's like, dude, holy crap. Are you kidding me? Like, that's incredible. Like you changed all this stuff. I would also change all this stuff. And oh my I was God. Like, okay, well let's go, dude. I can dance. Yeah. I can do this dance. And so I hadn't slept. And so I did it again and I stayed up again and I changed all the things that he wanted me to change. And I sent him another email at like five o'clock in the morning and he came in and, uh, and it was just at that point is when he went back to Craig and he was like, we need to talk to this guy because, uh, the, just the, the passion drive and, uh, is, is nuts. And so, um, he talked to Craig, Craig emailed me and told me to not talk to, to Greg anymore. Cause he was going to kill me with the amount of work he was throwing at me and, and the, the lack of sleep. So he's like, just, you're fine. Well, we're going to do an interview and, uh, or we're going to do a, a design test. And I was like, all right, cool. Sounds good. At this point, I got an email and an on-site interview from uh, Zenimax Online, who at the time was working on uh, Elder Scrolls Online, uh, but it was unannounced and all that kind of fun stuff. And so now it's super static, right? So I've got a design test from one company. I've got an, uh, an on-site interview from another company. Like, stuff's happening. This is, this is really, really good. And so I fly up to uh, Maryland um, to talk to Zenimax. And th- that was like my first industry... Uh, uh, interview experience. And like, my mind was blown. Like I get to the airport, uh, come down the escalator. There's a dude like with a sign with my name on it. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, I'm not, I'm a kid from a Big town that had like two, right? Like my, my town had like two stoplights and the tallest building was like three stories and everybody knew everybody. Cause there were like not many of us. And so it was, it was, it was, it was a lot. And so, you know, we go drops me off at the hotel go in, uh, the next day to the interview. And, uh, I had an idea what was coming. One of my professors, I will say this about Westwood, the professors that I came across, there were a handful of them that were 
they were awesome. They they really did care and they were trying to do good things, even though the, the, the environment didn't facilitate it. But, uh, and she told me, she's like, look, um, cause I reached out to her cause I got the interview and I know that she knew people there and she's like, look, they're going to interview you and it's going to be hard. They're going to, intim- they're going to, they're going to intimidate you. Uh, and that's just how they do things there to, to get a read on people. And she was right. And so I sit down in the room and, uh, like 20 or 30 people just walk in the room and they're lined up on the walls. Yeah. It was, it was a ton of people and they sit at the table and gentleman in front of me, um, sits down, slides me the mouse and keyboard and he's like, run us through your portfolio and tell us why you did all the things that you did. And that was it. And it was just like go time. And I was like, Oh God. Okay. And so start doing through all the things and we go through the portfolio and to be, they were all super, super nice. Um, and then, you know, we start going through some design questions and go to lunch and go to this and go to that. And I can tell throughout the interview how green I am and how fresh I am because I can tell that, you know, I'm stumbling in this. It was definitely a learning process. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in, I think in the, the, the interview there, the, uh, the first, uh, what was it? Uh, it was at lunch. I think it even came to the point. I'm so embarrassed where it was, uh, it was one of those like, Hey, please just take a chance on me. Trust me. You won't be upset. Like it was that bad. And, uh, it was, God, it was a learning experience like crazy. Cause I was super nervous, super, super nervous. Like, it, you know, it was like a shot and, uh, and long story short, it didn't work out. Uh, but oh, it taught really? me a lot. Yeah. No, Zenny Max. Yeah. It didn't, didn't work out. It was, it was, I was too new. They were looking for someone with, you know, more experience or maybe just like more general knowledge. But the takeaway from that was, I had exposure to the interview process. And so now at least I knew what to expect. And, and their interview process was, it was rough, right? It was very rigorous. And so like game dev interviews, usually like you, your interview is all day. So you'll have a session in the morning with a bunch of people. You go to lunch with some people. Then you have a few more sessions afterwards and you're at the studio for like eight hours. Um, so, you know, that wrapped up, I think, you know, while I was in the, the hotel there waiting for my flight, I was finishing up the design test for try on. And so I had finished that test up. I sent that back to try and I was like, well, we'll see what happens with Zenimax. I don't know. Cause I didn't know at the time and, and we'll see how it goes for trying. And then, you know, after I sent it off, uh, try and hits me up and they're like, we want to bring you on site. And I was like, oh, thank God. Right. Because at this point I heard from Zenimax and they're like, you know, thanks for coming up, but we're good. Um, and so then I had the, the, the onsite for, for try on and that one went completely different. Um, cause I had, you know, I had talked to some people there and we went back and forth and it was on site and it was super laid back. Uh, I had taken the design test and they were super happy about it. Uh, and that one was, you know, it was all day, but when I got done with that interview, one of their, uh, lead designers, lead level designers, Josh, he, uh, he drove me back to the hotel and, uh, he goes, normally we wait team really loved you. So, you know, I usually won't do this, but we're going to go out and get drinks tonight. Do you want to come out and join us? And it was like that moment. I was like, thank God, you know, got to win. And and then it worked out. It worked out. It was like, I think like two, three weeks later, I got the, uh, the offer letter. I remember jumping up and down in the backyard, waking out just like, you know, just basically in tears. It finally did it. Right. Cause it was like, at this point, I think from beginning to end, it was like four years, four and a half years of just trying and, uh, I mean, 200 plus rejections and, you know, taking a, a couple jobs that I didn't intend to take. Cause I fear, oh, I have a degree. I'll be able to get a job in the industry. It just wasn't how it was. And so it was, it was definitely uh, a crazy adventure into it. And, uh, I think it's been just as crazy ever since. 
<laughs> it's a it's an interesting industry. Great uh, story. Yeah. Now, what kept you going through all that? All the two hundred rejections, odd jobs you had to take. Like, oh. What did you say to yourself waking up every day? Uh, statistics. Eventually, someone will say yes. Like you can get you can you can only you only get rejected so much before something will eventually work out. I mean, it's, it's simple math, right? And so I knew that it's what I wanted to do. Um, I knew that there was a way to make it happen. Uh, and I knew that my chances were next to zero because I, I had to find a company willing to take somebody who has never done it fresh out of school and pay to relocate them you know, across the country because there was nothing in my area. Mm-hmm. And so like, I knew going in that like chances were super slim. Um, but I knew if I gave up, I would never forgive myself. Uh, and I would, I would, I just, you know, cause like I carry regret like really, really heavily uh, and I don't let it go. And so something like that, where if I would have just like quit and been like, nah, screw it, whatever, I'll just go back to what I was doing. I would have, I would have regretted it and I never would have, I never would have stopped. And so just knowing that it was the passion and, and, and knowing that it's just what I wanted to do. I just had to keep reminding myself like whatever deed, like just pick yourself up, just do it again. You're going to get knocked down. And you fail and you learn and then you change what you do and you fail again and you learn and eventually you find success. Uh, and it's knowing that, you know, and that's just kind of, I guess, what kept me going the whole time. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. It's incredible because the, the industry is not easy. There's a lot of guests that we had back then that say, you know, I was doing this, I failed. And then someone reminded me of why I was doing it and it came back and won. But it's just like, you wouldn't have known. You wouldn't. If you like uh, in the short term, you would have been like, it's over. But if you yeah. keep going, like you said, eventually, statistically, you will win. Just just keep yeah. going. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's, all. it's you know, like the next application could work. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Am I going to not send it? Because I don't know if it's going to work. Of course not. I'm going to send it because maybe they'll say yes. You know, like I said, 200 or so. And they kept saying no. At that point, technically, my chances are getting better. And it's more <laughs> likely someone's going to say yes because all those people said no. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it was tough, but you know, <laughs> that's glad, actually glad a tough. really great perspective. Every time somebody <laughs> says no to you, that's a better percentage chance. Somebody, the next person's going to say yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just, it's, it's basic statistics. And so it's like, at some point you'll find success. You just gotta, you just gotta stick with it. <laughs> you just gotta keep going, you know? Um, and it's, I, I think, you know, one of the big takeaways was always, you know, be super respectful, be understanding, go back and forth and, and, you know, open communication as best you can because it's a big industry, but it's a tiny industry and you're going to run into everybody again. And the next time you run into them, they want you to be like, you know, I remember that guy. We told him no, but he was super thankful and he was always super polite, sweet versus that dude's an ass. We we don't want to work with him because that happens. And I've seen it. I've seen it happen, you know, quite a few times. Yeah. I've heard it too from someone in, I think it was at Naughty Dog where they were like, even if you're really good, we want the person who's good and works well with people, not the person yeah. who's just really good and just treats everyone like trash or doesn't yeah. work well with the team. Yeah. That's yeah it's, it's, you can always get better, but you will not stop being an ass. It's so true. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> you can always get better, but you're always an ass. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not, you know, it's it's one of those things where you would rather work someone who is less capable, but more cooperative and mm-hmm. more you know, team oriented than somebody who can do it all on their own, but you know, just their heads off their ass. Cause it's when, when crunch hits and you're stuck in the studio for 60, 70, 80, 90 hours a week, you don't want to sit next to a jerk. 
You'd rather sit next to someone who needs some help. It's way better (laughs) than sitting next to someone who's just an absolute jerk. It sounds like hell. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've worked with people in the restaurant industry back, and working with that one person who's not fun, it just just makes it horrible. But then when you work with that one person who's just like awesome, fun, gets the job done, it's a blast, even if the situation isn't your favorite. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Team effort. Team effort. Exactly. Yeah. So now all those hours you were studying, like 40 hours or like two nights, three nights of nonstop, what was it like? Were you just like nonstop work, no food or no like hanging out, just grinding yeah. it out in flow state? Yeah, there were there were a lot of nights where it was just it was just work. Um, I I would get in like into that like creative mindset and it would be, you know, I I don't know how, but like. I really wouldn't have to use the bathroom. I really wouldn't get hungry. I would just sit there and just grind. And, uh, it, you know, for days. And, like, at some point I would get hungry and I would, you know, grab a sandwich or grab whatever and eat really quick. Or, like, stop See, for dinner for a few minutes. But What, what really I think cool. is that... <laughs> sorry for interrupting you. No, what I think is good. that you're a, you're a closet um, A-hat, right? Because what you've done is you've learned how to get along, but you're still that guy at your heart. <laughs> you want to get this crap done, right? Yeah. It's 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 necessary to be both, actually. You know, mm. it's it's you know that drive to get things done and to and to try and you know when whenever you fail and just keep trying. It's yeah. you know we we used to call it grit. I guess was the term for it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, having yeah. that grit. I mean, it's it's uh, you know you you can be a bit of an a head, you know, doing that kind of thing because it's just like you yeah. know be, being a little. Yeah, uh, you know, obnoxiously persistent is necessary sometimes to, yeah, <laughs> you know, to get things done. But at the same time, it's absolutely important to be able to get along with the people that you work with. You gotta, uh-huh. you gotta develop all of those skills, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and so especially I think as a, in the design role, right? Uh, because it's oh, you yeah. need to be open for the feedback. You've got to be open to other people's ideas. Um, yeah, yeah. Designer, <laughs> this is this is gonna, this is gonna sound really, I don't know, kind of weird, but. Designer, we always joke amongst other designers, and and please no one ever take this the wrong way, that everybody thinks they're a designer. And <laughs> and it's different because everybody has ideas. And as a designer, your job is to see somebody's idea and figure out why they had the idea, what were they trying to solve, and is the idea the proper approach to solve the problem they're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um and then if it's not, it's to politely, carefully, and very cra- in a very crafted way, convince them why a different solution will still solve their problem, even <laughs> though their original solution doesn't work. And uh, it's that's your job, in a nutshell, is is to to kind of navigate that. And depending on who you're working with, like even at times, you know, uh, to to then sell your idea to somebody else to the point where they feel it was their idea and they get excited (laughs) about it because then they'll get behind it and it's way easier to get it done. And so there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of that kind of communication is so big. And if people think you're a jerk, they're not going to listen to you whatsoever. And so it's, it's, you've, you've got to keep that line of communication open and you've got to listen to what people are saying and you've really got to understand, um, so this way you can approach it and then and find, you know, what is the best way to accomplish that that challenge at the end of the day. For and, sure. Uh, it's it's tough. 
Microsoft. Yeah, my dad my dad used to do code reviews, uh, security code reviews over at Microsoft, <laughs> and his perspective yeah. on it was kind of uh, was kind of like you know the the trick to it is that if you're criticizing something that they've created, it's like calling their baby ugly. Yes, you, you got to be really real careful about that yes. because people are proud of the work that they do usually. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. and it, in a creative environment hopefully. too, right? Someone usually yeah, exactly. Hopefully, <laughs> sometimes, right. but. You know, and it's it's one of the the other tenants that I've, I don't I do not marry my work. Um, I learned early on that when you get attached to it, there's a good chance that your idea sucks in <laughs> a few different ways, and it's gonna change. And if you really get attached to it, you're gonna be super heartbroken when someone comes in and craps all over it. And it happens basically all the time. So like, have an idea, have your solution, have your thing, and when someone says you can't do it, be like sick then what are we doing because i don't care as long as we solve the problem and i, I think that's mm-hmm. one of the, the 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 big takeaways is like uh it does not matter to me if it's my idea that solves the problem i just want to solve the problem so what do we need to do i'll offer some you know i obviously as a designer like this is how i think we should solve it is it i, I have no idea as anybody else i'm guessing i have more informative guess you know it's it's what i i have experience in doing but uh you know who else has an idea and then let's solve it and then build it together. Super important. Super important. So now for anybody who's, you know, trying to get into the industry, how tough is the industry? Like how, what do you have to be like to get in there to, to do what you did essentially? Like, you know, the interview with all the 20 people, like how do you get through that? Yeah. Um, so like, I feel like it's, it's changed drastically over the last, you know, 10 years even. Um, where before we didn't have the resources that you had today, right? Like if you look at like what Epic has done with unreal and the sheer amount of, uh, knowledge, tutorials, information, that's just everywhere out there. Like you can go download this thing for free, hit their store, download gigs worth of assets for free, go to their sites, get days and weeks of tutorials for free and then go build something like it it changes everything. And so like, and they won't even take a penny from you until you make a million bucks off of it. Exactly. And so there, there's so much just at your disposal now. And so like what I've always said to to people, you know, like, Hey, should I go to school? No, no. Unless you want to code, typically engineers will, you know, see if someone has a, you know, a CS degree. Um, that is one of the only disciplines I have ever seen bring up like formal college education uh, is engineering. Um, and I, it's weird because I never see him ask like, what school did you go to? Or, you know, where'd you finish in your class? It's just always kind of about the degree. And so I'm curious if, you know, is it something about the process of, uh, you know, going through and getting the degree? Is it just so they don't have to worry about teaching them the basics? Like, I, I'm not sure, but for like design and art, like there's just so many tools out there for you to to build a portfolio and for you to showcase your creative talent um, that, you know, I say go download Unreal or Unity, take your pick, go make a bunch of stuff, build a portfolio, delete it all, do it again, do that for a long time. And eventually you'll have stuff that you're super proud of and you can share, um, you know, indie devs, mod communities, like those are all super important assets for someone to be able to be like, hey, I not only made something, but now I made something with a group of people. And they don't want to kill me at the end of it. So I have communication skills and we're good there. And so it's like, there's, there's definitely a lot of, I think, avenues that people can take to do that. 
in terms of getting visibility. I mean, it's, it's, it's as tough as anywhere else, right? There's always that, that once in a lifetime shot of attempting to go viral on a social media platform, make something cool. It goes viral. It gets attention. People see it. Now you've got traction. Like there was that one kid, I say kid, I have no idea how old he was, but, uh, a little while ago, I think he was, he was trying to get Disney or Marvel's attention at his VFX reel. And, uh, he made a, a vid of, of him going through a bunch of scenes with like a lightsaber and something out. And it was super impressive. And he ended up catching millions and millions and millions of views. And at some point I saw a reply from like one of the managers at that studio been like, damn, this is impressive. And it was like, he got the attention he was looking for. He got the connection he was looking for. I have no idea how many people try that and they get nowhere. And so, um, you know, building that portfolio, doing good old applying, sending it in, hoping for the best. And then it's just networking, right? Um, there's been quite a few times where, you know, people I've worked with in the past, uh, if I'm not looking for a job, people hit me up for, you know, hey, are you looking for work? Be like, no, but my homie is. And so like that network is, is super huge. In terms of, you know, being someone new and getting through that interview process, you know, it's kind of like what I said before, go in and you're going to fail. And then you're going to learn. And then you're going to do it again. And you're going to fail. And eventually you're going to learn enough to where you don't totally suck and then you do a good job and then, and then you get the gig. And it's just, it's like, it's knowing that it's okay to be bad. Like the first step at not sucking or yeah, the first step at being good at something is sucking at it and like trying it. And like, if you, if you're never terrible at something, you're not going to get good at something. You've got <laughs> to work through it. It's almost I mean, like the inverse of the Peter principle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, it's, and so many people, they try something, oh man, I'm bad at this. Of course you're bad at it. You've never done it before. You shouldn't mm -hmm. have this expectation that like you're going to walk out into a baseball field and just crank a home run the first time you hit a bat. No, you're going to swing the bat. You're going to look like an idiot and you're going to be terrible and you're going to keep doing it over and over and over. And eventually you're going to hit the ball and it's not going to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to keep going. And, and it's just, it's, it, you have to be in that mentality that it's okay to fail and it's not a bad thing. We always look at like at failure at this huge negative, oh God, I failed. It's so terrible. No, it's not. It's a part of life. And if you learn from it. Did you really fail? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, didn't. you know, if you fail and you're just like, whatever, and you just walk away and you take it. Yeah, you failed. And, and that's on you. That's not on the situation. That's not on anybody else. It's on you because you didn't take anything away from it. But if you fail and learn, well, then the next time you'll, you'll fail in a different way, but then you'll learn again and eventually you'll, you'll figure it out. It's only if you really analyze what happened too. Some people will continue to do the same thing yeah. over and over again. Definition of insanity. Awareness, very, very important for sure. A hundred percent, absolutely. And another thing too, I noticed, especially for me, is that school made you think that if like you got an A, you knew what you were talking about. Like for instance, vocabulary. There was a lot of tests I got hundred on, and then on two weeks later, I'm like, I don't remember any of the words. I don't. Yep. Same thing with other things. Like, oh, I, I took a course and, and I think I know what I'm doing. And they're like, do it again. And you're like, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's totally true. It, it's that it's that continual, like that repetition, right? Mm -hmm. um, you got to do it. It's like riding a bike. You know, you, you can do it once or twice or whatever and you're going to fall off. And eventually, like, you'll kind of sort of get it. But until you ride the bike to the point where you are super solid, you will never be able to just ride the bike again no matter how long it's been. And so it's just that, it's that repetition and that, that exposure over and over and over and over to kind of burn it in your brain. Mm -hmm. 
But yeah. yeah. Yep. So now let's get into your Twitch streams. How did all that start? Ah, good old Twitch. So, uh, working on H1Z1. When I started working on the project, I, that was honestly, it was the first time I heard of Twitch. And I was like, what? <laughs> hang on, hang on. Oh, people yeah, watch. You're huge on Twitch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. People watch other people play games. Yeah. <laughs> that is the dumbest thing I have ever. Why don't you just play a game? That is so dumb. Like, are you kidding me? They're like, no, man, it's, it's huge. And so I, I'm like, this is stupid. Let me, let me see what it's about. And so because of work and, you know, I wanted to kind of expand my knowledge capital and, and try to understand, you know, you know, what is the ecosystem that at the time was H1Z1 and Twitch because they were super intertwined. So I start watching, watching streams and it didn't take long for me to realize that it had very little to do about the games and it had everything to do about the community that was built around the broadcaster and that like that was the beauty of it it was like each in a way you could see each different channel as a forum and the broadcaster is like the head moderator if you will and then everybody comes together because it's a bunch of like-minded people that you know it's the community that's built right you you can get in like the the really really big guys and just like everybody shows up but you know anytime you've got like a, a large or you know a medium stream typically it's a you know a community that was was built and so I really started kind of getting into it and I was like, I, I saw it. Right. And I was like, okay, okay. I was ignorant. It's not dumb. And, uh, you know, uh, started kind of getting behind it. And then I saw an opportunity because we were getting absolutely destroyed that there was no communication. No one could hear anything. No one can get information. You know, it's always silent. What are you guys doing? You guys don't, you know, you don't talk to the community. And, uh, I was like, screw it. What if, what if I just stream and people can come by and just ask questions? And so that was like the main goal. And so I had considered it for months and months and months. Finally, uh, you know, started, you know, hit up somebody for, you know, make me some scenes and we'll do this and we'll do that. And I want it to be like, you know, presentable and started streaming. And the whole reason we were there was simply so someone can come in and be like, Hey, you guys did this thing. Why did you do it? Cause when it comes to community and it comes to, uh, you know, gamers in general, they can be so angry and, and so, uh, just, just pissed. And the, why did you do this? And as soon as you explain why they go, Oh, okay, cool. Thanks. And they just, they just want to know what is going like, they just want to know what the hell is going on. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, they yell into this void and they get absolutely nothing back. And so they just end up even angrier because they can't get any information. And then, you know, they feel like they're being ignored on purpose when it's not the case. It's just people usually get super busy and, and, you know, things that, you know, things don't get answered or whatever. And so, you know, this, the stream started and, uh, you know, I was streaming like probably six or seven nights a week, pretty much. Um, and people would come in and I would stream and I would answer honestly the same 20 questions over and over for three or four hours a night, just back and back and back because someone would come in they'd ask their question. I'd answer it and they would leave and someone else would come in 10 minutes later and ask the same question. And, uh, but it didn't bother me because I knew that when a question, they just didn't know they were just trying to, you know, they, they were just trying to get information. And so we started doing this thing and went back and forth. And then I, I moved, uh, from systems design over into combat design. And that's when it got super interesting because like, you know, a weapon change. And then, you know, everybody would be like torches and pitchforks. 
uh, or like, you know, they get a kill with a shotgun and it, or the, you know, shotgun wouldn't work. There was always a huge H1 meme. Like what the hell's up with the shot? Freaking terrible gun. But anyway, and so, you know, they come into the channel they're like, this and that. And so then I started doing like shotgun breakdown clips where like we would take a Twitch clip and I'd break it down frame by frame. And we, you know, I would look and I would explain like what happened and what went on. And there were plenty of times where it was like, this was bad hit reg, right? You should have hit and you didn't. Most of the time they missed. And, and that ended up actually becoming a pretty fun segment, I think, for the community because people would come in super pissed off. They didn't hit their shots. And then they'd be like, oh, you know, and, <laughs> and then they'd be like, okay, sorry. It's like, yeah, it's fine, whatever. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we went through those paces and uh, it, was, it, was, it was helpful. And then there was a point, combat update went out, uh, game started to turn, and then that's when it got really bad. Um, the community in general was, they were pissed and rightfully so. And, uh, then things like death threats started rolling in and, uh, it, it got, it got, it got bad. There was, we, we hit, I think the, the ultimate low was, uh, I think I had like, it was two or three in a week. Uh, and one dude hit me up on discord and he said he was going to find me at TwitchCon. He was bringing a rifle and it was just, it was, it was, yeah, it was bad. It was super bad. And so that one, I had to ping Twitch and, and get them involved. And, and they, it was, it was a mess. And it was, it was at this point where, um, planet side arena had started to kind of work its thing in, in, in at daybreak. Uh, my stress level was, was through the roof. Um, I ended up having to take like a week off of work. Uh, from doctor's orders just due to stress. He's like, you are getting ill from that. You can't do this. You have to stop. And it was just because I cared, right? And and we all cared, mm-hmm. you know? Ark cared. Everybody gives him so much crap. Fix the game, Ark. Fix the game, Ark. And it's just like, it's not, it's, uh, you know, there's so many times like, we should do this. And you know, the company's like, okay, no, do this instead. And then you do it. And it explodes and they're like, Hey, can you help us clean it up? And you're just like, I told you, I just told you this was going to happen. Like, Oh, like I'm getting antsy just thinking about it. It's, it's crazy. But, (laughs) uh, so anyway, so, so, you know, and so the H one Z one thing kind of came and went, moved over to planet side, still streaming on Twitch. And at that point, uh, that's when my Twitch stream kind of made the big pivot. And uh, what I wasn't ready for was the the mental toll that Twitch can take on you when numbers tank. Um, and so that's when like I, I started seeing like this other side of Twitch where like my last stream on H1 uh, before I left, uh, I was hitting an average of like 700 concurrent, no host. And so the channel had gotten huge, right? I think 1,500, 2,000 subs. It was massive. Um but I knew in the back of my head, everybody was there because of H1Z1. And that was like, you know, and it made sense and it's fine. And then after I announced uh, that I was leaving the team and I was going to go work on something else, we went from like 700 concurrence all the way down to five. And so the channel just absolutely cratered. And like that mental strain of like, my numbers are gone. What do I do? Why do I keep streaming? Um, hit hard. And then we found Astroneer and Astroneer is like a a sandbox space exploratory game. And, uh, I completely fell in love with it. And I just started streaming that all the time. It's just what I streamed. I didn't care. And it made me not care about whatever. And then little by little community started to grow again. And we got this like 
really like nice organic community that was a mix of a handful like the old H1Z1 peeps that just kind of stuck around because they enjoyed the channel and the new people that started coming in. And that's kind of where the, you know, where the channel's at right now. It's like this nice mesh where, you know, I'll have 33 or 34 month long subs that are from H1Z1 and they came for H1, but they decided to stick around, you know, we call them the OGs, of course. And then we have just this, you know, a plethora of new people that are, that have come to the channel from all the creative sandbox stuff we played. And so now like my journey on Twitch went from doing it strictly for work to doing it strictly for me. Cause I mean, it's just, it's, it's fun. It's the community. It's this thing that we built together and it's awesome because I still have all the connections from, uh, uh, on Twitch from like the old days, right. Between flame, uh, or, you know, Grimmy and pineapples and CD and the third, like all those guys, you know, can, we can still communicate together and they're all still awesome people. But at the same time, now I get it from the other side, which is just from, I'm here for fun or enjoyment. I know those guys are there cause it's their job, but like, it's been very interesting to kind of see, see it on both sides. And, uh, Twitch is a freaking wild place. That, that's for sure. <laughs> Shit. Sounds like it. Yeah. Now, another thing, since what you mentioned, the uh, people get angry, I feel like a lot of people are not transparent to what is actually happening behind the scenes. They just see a game and I go, Oh, you could have done everything that we asked. Why didn't you? And it's like, yeah. no, there's so much more to make it, especially nowadays. Games are not yeah. as easy as you think. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's not, it's not straightforward at all. It's, uh, the way that I try to explain to people, right. When, as a designer, when you go to ask for something, it's essentially like you're going to mom and dad and you're like, Hey, I want to spend a hundred grand. Can I spend a hundred grand on something? Cause I'm going to need like two or three engineers for a few months. I'm going to need a handful of artists. We're going to need, you know, some more designers. We're going to need some server engineers in order to do this one thing. And at the end, when you look at it, it's going to cost the company a hundred thousand dollars to put it in. You go ask someone for a hundred grand. You let me know how that goes. And then mm -hmm. you get back to me. You know, it's just crazy. It's crazy. Um, and it's his balance. So for GDC 2019, I think it was 2019, I wanted to do a talk. And it was essentially uh, managing community expectations versus the realities of game development. And it was essentially exactly what you were just talking about, trying to inform the community and respect and build upon what they want to build while also trying to manage the business side of things so the company can stay profitable so you can keep your job. Because um, it's a super slippery slope and there's so much more that goes on there than meets the eye and really kind of communicating that from the game dev part to the community part without like opening the doors to all the business aspects is is just, it's extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now the Planet Side Arena story, are you able to talk about that? Is that... Yeah, a little bit. Um, I, I mean, I think honestly at this point I could talk freely. The main reason I don't is because there's still a lot of people at daybreak that like I have a lot of respect for and yeah. I don't like what I say can impact them on their day to day one way or another. And yeah. so that's why I just don't say anything. So, uh, either until it's a bunch of people I don't know, or, you know, the company totally changes and they're no longer tied. Uh, but Planet Side Arena it was a, a a tough one. It's still the thing I'm the most proud of. Okay. Um, way back in the day, way back in the day, and we've talked about this a little bit um, publicly. It was originally uh, a different Planet Side game, and it was supposed it was an, originally supposed to be a BR, um, but that was before H1Z1 ever blew up. 
Okay. So the plan was to have like basically two BRs out when no one else had any out, but then H1Z1 just freaking took off like crazy and we all pivoted and it was all hands on deck. So we came back to, to, to planet side arena, uh, years later. Um, and initially it was going to be like, let's pick up where we left off and then we went back and forth. And what we really wanted to make and what, what the team was really rallying behind was, uh, are you guys familiar with, uh, battlefield 2142 and the Titan mode? That's where you had, it basically you had two ships and, you know, you had to assault the ship, you had to get on the ship, take down the core, blow it up. And, and, you know, it was, it was, it was Battlefield 2142 and it was, you know, super nostalgic fan favorite mode. Um, and we, I wanted to build that, but on planet side scale, um, cause it would have been something like, you know, that's not out right now. And the last time we saw that was when 2142 came out, which was freaking years and years and years ago at this point. And we got through, we got like a lot of proof of concepts out. Uh, we wanted that kind of as like the main thing. And then the other side of it was, uh, I have a huge, huge love for Halo. Uh, I always have I love Halo and, uh, was like, well, what if we did Halo multiplayer on planet side scale? You know, let's, let's, let's be influenced by these guys. Uh, universes are similar when you look at like A to B, um, we could do, you know, basically like large scale objective based combat. Um, but the difference between like planet side two was that each match had an end, right? It's planet side two, you go on a map, you lock the continent, you go to another continent, you keep fighting. It's never anymore. So we wanted like that, that very, you know, the start stop. And we got through and we were like building some stuff and, and we were, we were excited. We started with a small team, uh, less than 10. I think it took us eight days and we had a prototype up and running that you could play. Um, and so like, it was really, really good in the beginning. Uh, we were super small. Uh, no one ever bothered us. We just kind of like came into work every day. It was so good, dude. We came into work every day. and was like, what do we want to do today? It was like, it was a dream. And, uh, time goes on. Development cost starts to increase. Company starts paying attention. And, uh, and then that's when it came back and we went back and forth and, uh, they're like, you need to make a BR. And, you know, the team was just like, that's gross. No one wants this. No one, no one, no one, no one wants another BR game. We have no right to make a BR. And so, Mm -hmm. but you know, they say jump, you say how high. And so we, we did what we thought we could and we tried to make a unique spin on it. And, uh, you know, so we had uh, three player teams, which we were confident in. Um, we had the large, the large scale maps, you know, the mode would support, you know, 300 to 500 people again, unique point. Um, we didn't have, uh, you know, it was loadout based combat, this and that, yada, yada. Anyway, so we're getting ready to announce and freaking apex legends comes out of nowhere on like a Monday morning at like eight o'clock and just dumpsters all of our plans. And we're just like, what just happened? Like Twitch has taken over, like They've bought everything like apex is here. The launch goes off flawlessly like respawn absolutely just killed it. And, uh, we're just sitting there like, what the hell do we do? Like we can't announce, we we can't announce another three player team based BR. Are you kidding me? Like we're, (laughs) Oh, so, so, you know, uh, it was, it was just like, Oh yeah. So, so now the team's like, got the, the wind completely knocked out of us because we're already making something that we didn't want to make to begin with. And uh, then they come out of the gate and they've obviously spent 
a ton of time, a ton of money, super talented team. They have this amazingly polished, well-running product. And, uh, man, that was a, that was a really crappy Monday. But, uh, (laughs) so, you know, we pivot and we try Mm -hmm. to kind of circle back again. We make a lot of changes and in game development, I think one of the biggest things that tears a team down creatively outside of just crunch is change of direction and planet side arena faced that more than any game I think I've ever worked on in my life. And it wasn't always, what are we making? It's like, what are we doing? So what platform is it going on? That must've changed. I don't even know how many times I can't even count. What region is it shipping in? You know, is it going to be North America? Is it going to be in Europe? Is it going to be in Asia? Um, you know, is it free to play? Is it box product? Like, what are we doing? And like these things would constantly change and anybody, you know, with half a brain realizes that a game is built differently for free to play than a game is built for box product. It's a different model, you know? Um, and so the team is like building for one thing and then it's like, pull the e-brake. It's free to play now. Oh, okay. Uh, all right. So we'll go. And then I kid you not like a month later. Hey, it's going to be box product again. And so we flip back and forth. Whose fault is this? Is executives, managers? Yeah. You know, the company was trying to figure out what they wanted to do. And it's just, it's super tough. And the team did a really good job. And, you know, and to be fair, to be fair, the, you know, management was trying to figure out what they needed to do to, you know, keep team funded, keep money coming in. That's their job. All right. They need to keep the doors open. They weren't looking to, you know, make billions of dollars. They were just looking to keep the lights on. Um, and so I think with the, um, what's the word? Uh, with as volatile as the industry is, mm-hmm. you know, Apex comes out. Fortnite is out. All these big games are coming out. Twitch is a huge thing now that we're all trying to figure out how to, like, look what happened over the last week with Rust. Like last two weeks, Rust has just rocketed out of nowhere. And now you go try to find like a Fall Guys or an Among Us stream and you can't find those guys anywhere. Mm -hmm. And it's just like because a small group of people just wanted to play something else. And like you can't you can't prep for that from like a business side. And so um, anyway, so, you know, it's it's they they were never doing it. In like any kind of like malicious way, they were just trying to figure it out. Kind of like, you know, we try to figure out a system design, but you know, long story short stuff changed back and forth. And, uh, at the end of the day, uh, still proud of what we launched on PSA, but it was just, it was a game that no one was ever going to play because it just didn't have a market. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the biggest, you know, one of the biggest things was like, it's a game built on scale where a match needed 300 players to start it and you know since it's br you essentially you take how many players you need to start it you do you like multiply that by about 15 and then you multiply that by how many modes you have in the game and that's how many concurrent you need online to have decently quick queues and so looking at this game that was on three different regions that had three different modes we needed concurrence out of the gate that in my opinion for you know were unattainable you weren't going to get that many people out the gate without a huge marketing spend to fill lobbies. So, um, ultimately it didn't work out. And then after PSA, uh, you know, I spun over to, to planet side too. And we started that journey again. Wow. That's a crazy story. 
Well, let's go to the best part of all this, PlayStation. How was uh, how was that going back to PlayStation? Oh, it was great. It was great. Sony, uh, Sony. When I worked there the first time, I realized that the company viewed its people different than other studios, and it really appreciated you as an individual. Um, they take care of their people. They are considerate of their people. And, you know, it's, it's not, it's not just, it's not about the pay. It's about like when you go and you apply and you get hired on and they send you your benefits package and it's not like two sheets of paper, but it's a packet of benefits and all the things that they've, that someone sat down and thought about how can we help people and like to take the time, who knows how many people they, you know, they have working to do that to then give people just all these different benefits and all these different perks and all these different little things. Like the last time I worked there, I I bought a Ford and I saved a bunch of money because there was a partnership between Sony and Ford. So I saved money when I bought a car because I worked at PlayStation because someone thought about that and they did their homework. And like, so the big thing for me was like, I wanted to get back to Sony for a while. Um, after PSA had kind of like done its thing, um, you know, the team took some of the blame internally, uh, for how it went. We, Obviously, I was super pissed. Um, and so I started looking. Uh, and so I applied originally at Sony like all the way back in like December. And so getting on board at Sony was like six months. But um, then, it, you know, it finally it came time and, and I was super excited. And ever since I've been back, it's just been it's been awesome um, through the whole, you know, pandemic thing. They've been super supportive. They have a bunch of different programs. You know, uh, I, I want to say we even have things for like where they have programs for, like tutor your kids and they have like all this online stuff and all the support that like wow. just to help you get through it all. It's and it's just like a constant reminder, like why I wanted to come back to Sony because like it, we make awesome games, you know, awesome hardware, all that kind of fun stuff. But at the end of the day, the big thing is like the company cares about the individual and like that is so much more important than so many other things. And so it's been an absolute blast. Um, the PS five launch was freaking rad. Um, and it's like the company, you know, the co- we're just, it's just a lot of hype. There's a lot of excitement, a lot of people working on a lot of cool things. And, uh, I'm so glad, I'm so glad to be back. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. It's been tough, but, uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun. It's awesome, man. I'm happy for you. Thanks, man. So for anybody who doesn't know, what exactly is your position in Sony? It's a senior yeah. system designer. And what exactly is that? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, see, exactly. Senior systems designer. So a systems designer technically or typically works on a lot of the the back end things that are under the hood. And so um, if I were to look at like what's a I'm gonna use the BR genre just because it's it's easy for me to kind of like pick out some systems from that. Um, so a systems designer would be like figure out loot distribution. Like how would loot work and how does loot get distributed across a map, right? Like what, you know, uh, what are the rules for one thing spawning or another? Or if there's like a, a score system or a progression system, right? Like someone needs to level up. What are they going to get when they level up? Um, some of that stuff will then bleed into uh, combat design, character design, weapon design, right? So like, you know, this is the level up deal. 
but the you know character design or class design would take over like well if i had a shaman what would the shaman get as they go through the paces uh the systems designer can be responsible for things like building economies in games you know how much is an item worth you know if you sell it what is this vendor prices and that and so like you're you're responsible for those kind of structures um you know percentage for things like loot drops off bosses and whatnot and you will usually come from like the systems design standpoint uh scoring algorithms scoring systems um so like the first time, for example, I was at Sony, uh, we got a, a patent that uh, I was lead designer on and it was a systems patent and it was uh, basically um, uh, game mode balancing and asynchronous games. And what it was is we had a game where uh, you had three teams and the team sizes could change throughout the map. And uh, the system I had designed was essentially uh, an XP scaler and trickle to change on the fly um, experience values that get awarded to players for doing certain actions. So as your team lost players, uh, you would level up faster to offset the power loss to try to keep the match balanced. And that was a huge design. I think we took like three or four months coming up with that one. But like that is a systems design, right? Players at home play the game and they're like, this game is good or this game sucks. Feels good, feels bad, and uh, they don't. If they don't really know why, typically it's the system design is doing mm-hmm. well or it's failing. You shoot a gun and it feels bad. You know why, right? You uh, you have combat and it doesn't feel very impactful or it feels very impactful. You know exactly why. If you're playing a game, it just kind of feels off. You know, maybe it's the loot, maybe it's the pacing, maybe it's whatever. Some of that stuff kind of falls into uh, into the, like the systems design category. Okay. Wow. That's a great example because I I wasn't sure too at first. I was like, how exactly would you describe that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, perfect. Yeah, so awesome. awesome. And then one more thing before we wrap it up, yeah. what would you say to anybody aspiring to work at like Sony? Just just do it. You just got to go for it. I think a lot of people get intimidated by like, you know, I want to work at Sony or like I want to I want to go work at Epic. I want to go work on Destiny. I'm not gonna be able to do that. Yeah, you are. You just got to try. You just got to go for it. You may not end up there first, but you can, you know, there, there's a path to get there. And so don't get discouraged. I think the, the other big thing that we, we face today is, uh, you know, uh, judgment of someone's creative ability. Right. And so like somebody does something, somebody creates something and more today than ever, it is just open to be scrutinized online like crazy. Everybody has an opinion about something and you can't let that bother you. You can't let you know, someone else's opinion get you down. Um, because like at the end of the day, they don't matter. And, and it's, I mean, that's it. Like they they do not matter. The only thing that matters is you stay focused, you stay on the track, you keep getting better. And that's, what's important. That's what matters. Right. Someone come and be like, man, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. Okay, cool. Um, I'm going to keep going. The next thing I make, will be the second worst thing you've ever seen because the first thing I made was the worst thing, but I got better and that's all that matters, right? So <laughs> like, whatever, get out of here, you know? So just don't give up and um, and uh, you just stick with the grind. Don't expect it easy. It's not going to come overnight. Um, even if you don't do school, uh, I wouldn't be shocked if it took you, you know, three years of grinding portfolio and tutorials and this and that to get it done. And three years is a long freaking time. Yeah. You know, it's not something that you're going to do for three weeks and be like, I don't have a job yet. This is never going to happen. You just got to stick with it. Yeah. That was me like three years ago. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I'll take one course. No, I'll get a job. Yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> nah. But yeah, so awesome. 
And then now we have a challenge we give usually to the uh, students at the end. Usually we have it for the courses. But uh, did you come yeah. up with a challenge or do you need an example? Uh, so I have a, an idea, but why don't you give me like example of some of the things that you guys have had in the past. Then I'll see if like if I'm on the right page or not. So it, it can to be anything. So we had some people say like, hey, take a design from a game and like Fortnite, like the building and try to change it up to something else different or drawing. It was like take a scene from a movie and draw it down or draw 20 different type of character designs or programming. Mm-hmm. It's like program something new that you've never done before. Actually, one of my favorite challenges, somebody was like, let's say you're a programmer, do something that you've never done before. So if you're a programmer, go draw or go do a 3D modeling or go do audio, mm-hmm. do something. Yeah. So it could be anything, but yeah, you're probably on the right track. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So one of, one of the challenges I usually give with people and it usually catches them off guard a little bit is uh, I say go copy something else. And they okay. say, what? Like, just find a game and go copy it and build it and make your game run like that game. Because the process of figuring all of that crap out and having something to compare like A, B to is huge because you can actually see how far off you are. And then you take the knowledge and the things that you learned from copying somebody else's idea and then you put it into your own idea because now you know actually how to get stuff done. Um, if you look at, so um, look at a game like, like, uh, raft raft is a super simplistic game, uh, for face value where, you know, uh, you have a raft, you're floating along, you gather things, you craft, you expand, and that's it. The thing about it is the modular approach of raft has allowed them to add content on over time to make what is now a much bigger, more complex game. So if you take a look at somebody's game and you copy it and you understand the basics, but then you take those basics and you build your own thing and then little by little you just add things on top of it, you gain an understanding for how to actually get stuff done. When I first started making levels, I loaded into Unreal Tournament 3. I loaded up the levels that they made and I took them apart piece by piece. One piece at a time. Oh, that's what they did there. That's what they did there. That's what they did there. And my the foundation of my learning was understanding what somebody else who knew what they were doing had done. And that's kind of where I started. Beautifully said. Cool. And so that's about it. It was a pleasure awesome. coming on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, just but, uh, uh, thank you guys for having me. It was, it was, it was great. I, sorry it took so long. Uh, sorry about yesterday. Yesterday turned absolutely crazy. Oh, no, so I appreciate y'all making some time today. Yeah, and uh, I just, Please. I really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Yeah. Because usually, uh-huh. we, right now, I'll just hand the mic to you and say if you want to do any shout-outs, any thank-yous, any last quotes, whatever you want to add, just end it off, and the yeah. mic's all yeah. yours. Yeah, yeah sounds good. Yeah, well, thank you guys. Once again, really do appreciate it. And, you know, to anybody else out there who, you know, who may end up watching this, seeing this, just don't quit. Fail. Fail quickly. Fail a lot. Teach yourself, and then just keep pushing forward, keep pushing through, because you're going to get there. You're going to get better. And uh, you can only fail so many times before you find success. Well, that's it. Thanks for listening. You can find all courses at GameDev.tv or in the show notes at a discounted price. Get started with your game development journey today.